to a meaningful marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello, and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We're here weekly to discuss the journeys of female food entrepreneurs. We're glad you joined us today as we bring you stories of hope and inspiration. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Missoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Sarah Missoni, I have a couple of questions for you. Are you ready? Oh, sure. <laughs> so I'm getting ready to go to New York just for a weekend. Super quick trip. Oh, and and I know that you You're go there quite a bit for June. Well, I am I'm going to see my brother, and oh, um, that's good. Super fast. So, do you have a top eating destination for me to go to while I'm there? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think an unexpected place to go to eat is Restoration Hardware. In the meatpacking district, they have uh, up on the top floor, they have a little restaurant and it's really good. Done and done. <laughs> I'm going to go check it out. I didn't even know that there was a cafe in there. So I love secret finds. Yeah, that's a secret find. Cool. I'll check that out while I'm there. I'm only there for a little bit. Um, I'm going to see uh, David Byrne, which I think you went to that show, right? The Talking Head show. Oh, you're going to go. I'm going to go. It's yeah, that's so awesome. Is that why you're that, going there? Yeah, I'm going to the very last show that he's doing my when I when I was a child. I don't remember it, but that was my first concert my parents took me to. And so I just felt like it's ending. That, I was thinking of yeah, going again. And it's <gasps> ending. So I'm going to go do oh, that. Check it I'm out. I'm super glad I went. You're going to love it. So just cool. be ready to dance and sing along. That's all I have to say. I'm ready. <laughs> so ready. Really good. <laughs> um, and then I have a couple of past guest updates. One of them oh. actually is from you okay. because you went to Kate's ice cream shop. Yes, I did. Open. So Kate was on episode 97. If anybody wants to re-listen to that, she was talking about opening up her shop. Yeah, it took a while, but it's really beautiful. And she gave me a tour of the kitchen and everything. It's super nice. That was so cool that you got to go to the opening. It was a, mm -hmm. you were invited to the secret friends and family opening, but now that I was open so people can go. Yep. She even said I was her friend. That's so great. That is great. <laughs> You're always going to make you friends. admit that they know me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. It's true. It happens a lot. Who's that lady? I don't know her. No way. I brag about you all the time. I tell everybody I know you. That's the thing. People talk about me when I'm not there, but when I show up, you're they there. Zip it. They probably mm -hmm. get shy. Probably. Uh, the other past guest that I ran into is Althea from the Flavor Society. And we oh. had her on a couple shows ago, but yeah. she was doing her very first show, her very first market show where she was selling at the Snack Fest. And oh. so I ran into her and I was so proud of her because it was her first show. And she had like made her new booth design with her sign and everything. So I took pictures and I'll post them on our Instagram because it was so sweet to have her. How meet. was that? snack fest would you recommend to people to sign up for that i would and i you think would. that they're looking for vendors yeah so snack okay. fest is run by the same people that do the portland night market mm -hmm. and um you know it's one of our best in-person shows i would say the only thing that's hard about it is if you don't have a staff team or people to help you it's, it's two days right or is it three yeah 
it's usually two or three days, just depending. Sometimes it's longer during holidays and stuff, but um, it is really busy. So if you can swing it and you can have some buddies help you or something, I well, think I that got it's one definitely question. worth it. Sure. How many, how many, if somebody was going to go do it the very first time yeah, and you had something that was really delicious, how many units would you need to have with you? Do you think like how many people do you think you would sell to or serve? Like, Um, Well, there's definitely over a thousand people for sure. Well, you Um, made your, did you make your snack mix? How many did you make? I made some snack mix, but so I wouldn't normally do that. But since this was the snack fest, I I had my sauces there. Yeah. And so I made a snack. So I made 30 of those and we sold them all. Um, But I didn't want to have extras. You know, I definitely wanted to have them. But but we were were definitely selling more sauce than we were snacks. You know, I just kind of did it for fun. (laughs) So you could say you had a snack. So I could say that I was part of the snack extravaganza. You could always, you know, disguise your hot sauce as a drink. <laughs> I, I could give people hot sauce shots for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be people, um, I think it was Oli Kraut at the Portland Farmer's Market and they sold yeah. sauerkraut, you know, mm-hmm. but then they would do um, like brine shots. Brine shots. Yeah, that's yeah, popular. People would totally do it at the market. I think it was like a dollar or something. And people could do these brine shots. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fun. I think any something way different, interactive and have something fun. That's kind of why I wanted to make the snacks. was just to have something else for people to try other than our sauces. Because I was giving out samples of them. And stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So it was very fun. It was nice to see our past guests. We're always, we always like to brag on everybody as they um, accomplished their goals. So good job, ladies, doing what you told us you were going to do. I'm That's super proud cool. of both of them. Yeah, it's exciting. Well, we're not just here to chat, me and Sarah. We have a special guest with us today. I would like to welcome Lee Hedgman. <coughs> Lee is the owner of The Barreled Bee and maker of barrel aged honey. Hi, Lee. Hi. Hi, Lee. Hello. So Welcome good to be to here. The show. We're so glad to have you. Very glad. Thank you. Uh, well, we always like our listeners to follow along on your journey and connect with you. And so what's the best way for them to find you online? Instagram. Um, you can find me. I am pretty, pretty regularly on my Instagram uh, a lot. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I have Twitter and I have Facebook and they're all under the same name, the Barreled Bee. Um, and so, but I spend, I think, a little bit more time doing Instagram than I do anything else. Perfect. And we'll make sure to um, post a link to you from our um, sites as well. So everyone can find you at the Barreled Bee. Uh, and I want to start off, we usually start off by kind of asking about um, people's journeys and where they started. But I was wondering if you invented barrel-aged honey, because I've never seen anybody else do it except for you. Are you the creator of barrel-aged honey? So um, I am the creator of barrel-aged honey the way I do it, but I was not the first person to do this. And so um, it either, it falls into two kinds of camps. Um, it's either a distillery that is uh, large enough to have bees or next to or knows a beekeeper, or it's an apiary that's next to a distillery. And they thought, let's try this. Um, no one does it really regularly. Um, and uh, having done it for the last few years, I ha- can take a gander as to why. Uh, <laughs> i'm guessing it's challenging the horror stories um yeah it's it can be a little it can be a little challenging tell us Uh, what the downsides are i want to know now that you said that uh losing not having no way to stop a barrel when it's leaking when you have one filled with 400 pounds of honey and it's a hot summer day suddenly you're thinking what's that sound it smells so good and it's just streaming out of a barrel you can't control. Uh, Too bad you can't have a bucket underneath it, like when it rains. Yep, does not seep like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, but mostly it's because it's it's very kind of time consuming. Um, it's really temperature and humidity driven. Uh, so. How would you keep a barrel from leaking? Have like a 
have water spraying on it to keep it hydrated or? No, because then you end up running into the problem of you get, uh, <clears throat> you end up, well, you end up diluting the honey down and you know, when it reaches oh, that certain point, it yeah. becomes that. Yeah. And so I have a few tricks that I have learned over the years. <laughs> yeah. That's a, well, that's I, I was ready to give you credit for it because I've never seen anybody else do it. And I think that it's a really cool process and um, procedure. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to our listeners h- how you go about barrel aging your honey? I mean, you don't have to give away any secrets, but just like the <laughs> top <of> line <laughs> executive report here, yeah. executive report. I actually like to think of it as uh, I've always explained to you. It's always like, um, I am a matchmaker. So I actually work with different honey varietals. Um, I taste different honey varietals and I taste different spirits and I smell a lot of barrels. Um, And so I pair the honey varietal with a specific kind of barrel. So I'm lucky enough that I work in an industry where I get to be around barrels all the time. uh, And I know, you know, and I'm an actual, and I am actual beekeeper. So I keep bees as well. So I'm, I'm in contact with beekeepers. And so I get access to things that are less than stellar or as far as beekeepers are concerned. Um, but the weirder the honey, the better. Uh, so when I you just say weirder, what do you mean? Weirder honey? Yep. So honey that is more it's flavorful. Like with, it's like root, you know, where there's a certain level of things that are have a visual appeal or a company buys it all the time because they can use it and it has a look and it has a flavor profile. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there was not a mistake in when you're like processing that it got too hot, those kind of things. Okay. Or it's such an odd, it's like a, a honey varietal that for Weird some flavor. Honey, yeah. It turned out too dark. Uh, okay. There's a couple that that happens too. Uh, do you blend your honeys then to get the perfect honey or no, do you just I go don't. with it? I go with what I have. Okay. That's why I call it a matchmaker. Sometimes if I'm lucky enough, I end up at either going to a wedding or I get, um, they're just buddies. <laughs> so sometimes it's a perfect match and you're like, oh, these two look work great. And then sometimes you're like, you can taste very distinctively. Every They kept their separate apartments kind of situation. Uh, Interesting. So well, my cat- the- what sparked your interest in honey? When did That's you start getting into it? What made you choose honey? So I am a long time mead maker. So I learned to make me, gosh, this, this is where I get to date myself. I think I was in my early, late twenties or so when I started making mead. Um, and then I was making wine at home and then I was making beer homebrew and all of that kind of stuff before I actually became a professional brewer. So I've been doing this for over 20, almost 20 years. So I want to ask a question. Is any of this, do you think, um, inherited knowledge from family that you might not even know that you have? Like, is it ancestral sort of knowledge that you just have? Like you just have like this knowledge of how to do it? No. Well, it was interesting to find out. It wasn't until after my father passed away, I found out from one of his really good friends that they used to make wine in their basement. And I didn't know he did that. Um, and so I it was believe like, oh. you inherit stuff like that. It's that innate behavior we all have. Some things we just do because we don't know exactly why. I think oh. that's part of it. Yeah. None of my family drinks. They're not big, sweet. You know, they're not. Well, Beyond my dad, my grandmother, uh, I think, no, oh, I just never thought of it that way. Um, It's just always been a thing that I've done um, or started doing because I live in, you know, Oregon and Portland Mm -hmm. in particular. And so craft has always been, I grew up around things that are homemade and craft made. Mm -hmm. Uh, You bring up a good, a good thought that I had, which is that, um, you know, because I grew up in Oregon too, and I know you're native Oregonian and we just sort of, I feel like you always know somebody who keeps bees or, or, or knows something about honey or something like that. And that, is that just specific to Oregon or is it like that everywhere? Can people keep bees all over the country or is it? Well, really like- well, the, all of our, everything is dependent on in the field is dependent on bees. So sure. I think they're just about everywhere. 
Yeah. I think there are laws that they, you know, we get, people have kept bees, but I don't know if people have thought about like, I know right up until recently, you had to get like your neighbor, your close neighbors, like let them know you wanted to have hives and you had to get them to sign off on it. They stopped doing that. Thank goodness. Um, yeah. So you now OSU has a ton of bee researchers and yep. all of the bee stuff going on. Have you worked with anyone at OSU on any of your honey stuff? No, I actually was a part of the master beekeeper program. Oh, that's cool. What's yeah. that? That's the one where you get to go through like the apprenticeships to become what they consider a master journeyman, a master beekeeper. Mm. So I was learning all about and taking all these tests and learning all about beekeeping while tending my own bees at the same time. And then the pandemic hit. Oh, Things got weird and I'm like, okay, I've got, I had to stop. So I'm going to go back to it, but yep, start it up again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I started beekeeping because people kept asking me about bees. Mm-hmm. Every time I would go to markets or I would go and sell things. And I realized that people were just as fascinated with the bees as they were with the products that they were creating. Cause most folks didn't know that there was so many different kinds of honey out there. So I was getting more into learning about bees in order to be able to talk about the different kinds of honey I was using and why, but I had already been using honey and making mead and judging meads for years. Mm-hmm. I saw always at the state fair in one of those big buildings, yep. there's always someone in one of the corners with all the bees and it's always swarming with people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lee, you, um, I saw that you, the barrels that you use are from Freeland That's um, right. and we've had Jill on as a past guest. Mm-hmm. Do you, how did you partner up with Freeland? Did you, do you um, know them or were you seeking out another women-owned business? How did that happen? So I'm the distiller for Freeland. Oh, okay. That's my day job. Yeah. <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense then. Yeah. <laughs> so I had, um, and it's really fun because I started there uh, right around um, after I had my business. And so actually I had already been a distiller because I used to distill for McMinimins. And so I knew people and that's how I would get barrels were from, I would call up another distillery or someone I knew and asked if they were dumping a barrel anytime soon. And they're like, Oh yeah. Um, so then I would just get that barrel. And then what I would do is I would just give them some of the portion of the bottles, um, make sure that they knew it's all their name on the tags. I, I did as much, um, co-branding as possible. So for us, unless we're going to make something or, or age something after those barrels, they are they usually have a second life somewhere else. And so it it's not unusual for me to give away my even the bourbon barrels I use at work when I'm done to like a brewery or a cidery. I got a question use. about barrels cuz I was at um Coastal to yesterday and they have barrels sitting out front. If somebody got a bee in their bonnet and they went to Coastal and they bought one of those barrels, could they put stuff in there and ferment it? Or would that be just... No. It's been sitting outside at that point. Um, It's not safe to put food products in. Okay, good. I'm glad we asked. Yes. Uh, We get that question a lot from folks. And so I always we always make sure that we ask them, do you want it for ornamental um, just to have outside as a table? Are you going to make furniture out of it? Or do you want to put a product in it. If you want mm-hmm. to put a product in it, we encourage them to get it as soon as possible before it dries out too much. Because mm. they'll have a leaking problem like you just told yeah. us about. Okay. That's so. good to know. And then you don't have to fill it with water to get it to swell back up. And there's a lot of things that can happen. Uh, so I give it to a lot of home. I, got, I just, uh, my homebrew club, some members of my homebrew club just got a barrel and they filled it with a barley wine and uh, I th- will taste it in about a year and a half. Cool. That's so cool. Uh, this is more of a distilling question, but since you're part of that world, you'll probably know the answer, but why do distillers have to get rid of the barrels? They can't use them again. And again, they just have to like use them one time. No, we don't have to, um, oh, Okay. but sometimes for our product line, we don't have a product that requires secondary aging or long-term aging in a neutral barrel. Uh, so, uh, we can use them, um, for other things. We can put other products in them. 
We could age gin if that was a product that we wanted. Like we can use them multiple times. Uh, could but, Sarah fill one with a hot sauce? <laughs> yes, you can. Um, the only thing about we doing that. Put it in the fridge, maybe? No, it's a Tabasco issue. You like Tabasco does it too. Like the acid mm-hmm. on that is so high. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's so low, I think it is. And no, it's, it's going, it's active. Is it high the, or low? The pH is low and the acid is high. Is You're right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's one of those things. Um, and that barrel will probably maintain itself. It won't become super funky. It's all vinegar based. So those should generally be fine. Um, we should chat because I have a, uh, that wasn't that. I don't do hot sauce. I can't, I don't handle spicy personally. But you have hot honey. <laughs> I, I don't. You don't? Okay. Maybe, well, maybe. That would be different company. That's different here. company. Okay. Maybe it's just tastes like the, the alcohol from the barrel then. Yeah. I've heard people tell oh, me yeah. that. It's yeah. a, yeah. I've been really, uh, and I always, that throws people because for technically for me, when it's in the barrel age stuff, is doesn't have a lot of alcohol in it. It has trace amounts, it's but you're getting a amounts. lot. Of, it's trace amounts. It's the um, flavor, really, that you're getting. Well, they're pulling out. It pulls out everything in the wood. It's why certain barrels don't always work well. It's such a cool process. I've, I've really, I mean, like I said, I've never heard of anyone doing it before, and I think it's really neat. And um, I did notice that you have really cool bottles that you put your um, they are cool in. they're so neat um have you had any we have a lot of guests that have had supply chain issue stuff happen over the the pandemic have you had any um problems getting your cool bottles or have you I have not good i've been <laughs> really lucky i don't do a huge amount mm-hmm. and so because of what i the smaller amount that i use i don't um I could only produce so much. So you have limited availability and that's probably why you're selling it mostly regionally. Is that correct? Yes. Um, For this one, until I can get bigger and have more barrels, then it's not a something that um, I can produce more than like three to 400 bottles per batch. And how many um, barrels per year are you making Lee? Uh, I'm trying to get up to where I'm doing three to four a year. Okay. So, uh, That's the so pandemic cool. kind of slowed me down a little. Um, so yeah, I've had to tricky. look at different products. So what are some of the things that we could do to help you to be able to increase production? <laughs> uh, find a space. Space is the issue. Space. I don't think people, re- I have such a hard They have time. to sit there for a while, right? And it's mm-hmm. just. Yeah, just sitting there, and you have to go check it once in a while. It's not like it. Yeah, so it's sitting, but I also there, a barrel rack full of honey is you know about twelve hundred pounds. So you're still moving it around. It still can't be super cold because then you'll get crystallized honey inside Mm -hmm. of a barrel, and that's not fun because you have to cut that barrel apart with a saw. Um, oh no! Yeah, it <laughs> sounds like Absolutely. it might have happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I ended up doing that on camera. Yeah. They were like, "Hey, let's record this," and I was like, "Sure." And then the whole thing was like, "Please don't put this in the documentary." <laughs> it was oh, an awful experience. Wait, did you get on Super Abundant? <laughs> Is that where you did it? That's the one. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm contributor to that, and I said, "You need to go see Lee." <laughs> that's how you got on there that's oh my cool. gosh thank you there was so much fun they were great but they laughed that? because they were like oh we we were had to cut this barrel apart and we there were two barrels that needed to be cut and I only yeah. cut the one yeah and it was the weirdest thing because I had to build a box to yeah. keep barrels warm through the winter okay because if it got too cold and you know you got those days some honey types will crystallize faster than others. So it was a race against temperature and time to warm the barrels up and keep them warm before they crystallized and we weren't able to. So are you checking the solids or the bricks level? Is that how you kind of know what's going on inside the barrel or 
what sort of measurement are you doing to kind of know what's uh, happening? Usually I don't crack them open for four months as a minimum. So you leave it four months. I leave it I four see. months and then I come in. Um, they do get moved and mixed around a little. So that's cool. Yeah. I have to be able to mix them. So I have a, I have a little mixer that I can put in there to mix them. Uh, and that tells me, but by the time I had checked it, it was too late. And mm. so, yeah. What you need <laughs> is a honey barrel x-ray machine. <laughs> uh, funny you should say that. My husband kept saying, he goes, we could check for leaks. He had this a whole plan to build an app that required me to have all these little cameras looking at the barrels. So then it would, it would be able to identify because it was taking pictures all the time when the picture didn't look right, it would yeah. recognize that possibly there was a leak here. He's um, right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So two years, still two years waiting for him to make this app for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> if, if he gets on it, then he can help other people. So they don't have the same problem. Cause as soon as you said that, I was like, I'm never going to put out stuff in the bureau because I mean, I don't I want you... it to all leak out. <laughs> <laughs> but couldn't you use that for other stuff that you put in barrels, not just honey? Yes. And there are other companies that put other things in because they've found that it works a lot, a uh, lot easier, but they have their yeah. other, they have other issues. Um, yeah. I love honey so much. I actually have chosen just to stay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because it's so, it's, I have a real love for it and I use it for everything. Ooh, when we come back from break, let's ask Lee what she uses the honey for. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, Lee, I've been wondering, um, what's your favorite drink to make, a mixed drink to make with one of your barrel bee honeys? Can you tell us? Yes, Um, it is called a honey drop and it is Mm -hmm. Geneva gin. So it's kind of like, it's the gin I make. Um, That barrel aged honey, lemon juice, a little bit of Cointreau um, and egg white. Oh, it sounds like a Pisco sour from almost. Yeah. Um, It's kind of like a, a cross between uh, there's a cocktail called a white lady and there's a cocktail called bees knees. And so it's kind of like a mix of those two. It's a combo. So you make that Geneva gin. Yes. That's my husband's favorite. (laughs) He's going to be so excited to listen to this episode because I'm talking to you. (laughs) He's going to have to make mixed drinks for all of us now. I know. What a great idea. That's so fun. Well, Lee, I want to know about your buzz sticks. (laughs) Tell me about those. So I do cocktail inspired honey sticks because I absolutely, uh, as close as I get to being a real mixologist, I am, I, I love cocktails. So I wanted to make cocktails um, and put them in a honey stick form. So I work with um, my first two that came out were I did with Freeland. And then I'm working with a couple other local distilleries for uh, a signature cocktail that they make. Um, and then taking that and translating that into uh, a honey stick form. And do you, do you have the honey stick machine? Ha ha. I did, and I don't use it anymore. So here's a tidbit <laughs> of advice. <laughs> here's a business, very smart business choice. Um, don't do it yourself if somebody else has already been doing it for over okay. 50 years. <laughs> yeah. So you have somebody fill the sticks for you. Uh, Nature's Kick down in Salem. That's so cool. I, I've never seen cocktails in a honey straw. I think it's genius. I didn't know that you did that. When I, I did an event with you, you know, quite a few years ago um, at Helioterra Winery. We were both there together. And you had the barrel-aged honey, but I don't think you had the honey sticks. I didn't stick. have the honey sticks at that point. And I then when I saw, stick. yeah, when I saw them on your website, I was like, that is so cool. It's exciting. How long have you been doing those for? Um, a couple of years now. Cool. It started right, honestly, I think it was right at the 
tail end of 20, either tail end of 2019 or tail end of 2020. Um, I started planning for doing that. And so, um, and so they, they actually, they are inspired by cocktails, but they actually do have alcohol in them as well. Right. So you well, have I was going to ask, 21. how do you keep kids from drinking those? Um, so you can't sell them to children. Okay. And I do not give them to children, but if their parents choose to give it to them, that is their business. Yeah. Um, which often happens. And it's really funny because they'll be like, sure, you can have taste this honey steak. And nine times out of the 10, the kids just hate it. It's not fun for them. Uh, they, <laughs> uh, every once in a while, you'll get a kid who really enjoys it way too much. And then you're like, yeah. again, not my, problem, not my issue. <laughs> they start acting silly and you're not sure why they got the yes. wrong honey stick. Well, and I always tell people, you'll usually get a sugar high before you get drunk. But I yeah. have to, I do every batch I make, I do send to a lab um, and I send it to a lab and they will test it for me and test the alcohol by volume. So I know. So I have that for every one of those um, that gets made and sent out. Do you have to have a special license for those compared to just doing the regular honey? So if I sell publicly, like to the public direct, I have to have a liquor license. And so I had to go through that process with the OLCC. Well, I um, noticed that when I first went to your website and it, you know, it asks, you know, if you're 21 or older or, you know, whatever. And I, and I was thinking, well, that's weird. Is that just because she ages her honey in the barrels? But I didn't realize that you had the, um, this, the straws with actual alcohol in them. So then it made more sense. But at first I was thinking it was just because you were aging in liquor barrels, but that's not the reason you have to go through the OLCC, right? Right. And as long as, and I can sell wholesale to any other, any company. Um, so. And then, and if you, so if you sell those to a company, then it's their responsibility to kind of deal with who yep. they're selling them to. Right. Okay. I just, we haven't had anyone on the show that had a product that had alcohol in it that wasn't like a distiller, you know, so we, we haven't yeah. had that, had that come up as something. Is it difficult to get that certification through the OLCC for a food brand? Not really. It just takes a lot. It, Cause I did it during the pandemic. It just took a mm -hmm. lot of time. Sure. So you couldn't walk things to places. You couldn't drop stuff off. Um, and so a lot of things had to be emailed and, and all that. And Mm -hmm. phone calls were made and just a lot of waiting, hurry up and wait kind of situation. Do you have to, do you have to give OLCC a sample of what you're preparing? No, no just all paperwork. Yep. Okay. So any um, tips or tricks? To, oh, just be patient. Patience. Be patient and kind <laughs> to them. They are so few. They, they work really hard and they're managing the whole state and they're taking care of a lot of things. And I know it gets a little frustrating, but I always go, uh, a little bit of kindness and understanding and goes a long way and always assume that it's going to take three times as long as you think it should. Uh, so, so you said if you, if the one way we could help you is to help you find storage, if you had your dream storage location, how much space would you need or would it just be your whole, would you just like to have your own facility or what would be the best for you? Um, best for me. So for the last few years, I've been sharing spaces with other large production companies. So I haven't had to like shell out the funds for like maintaining the infrastructure of my own space. Mm -hmm. um, I like that idea because I come in and I'm in there so infrequently. Um, I'm there for making something and then checking on something, but I'm not using the workspace to do paperwork, you know, that kind of thing that gets done elsewhere. So um, sharing a space uh, has always been fun for me because it's not I'm not always alone. Yeah, that makes sense. And my schedule is as flexible as I want it to be. And uh, so it's been nice. So on occasion, I would like do work at work because it all holds the same kinds of licenses and things like that. So that's been nice, uh, you know, getting used to being able to Use a forklift to dump a barrel. That's helpful. Uh, the new space I'm moving into is an already active production space. 
um, like a home commercial kitchen and it's a small company and they already have a DSP. So they have a liquor license too. So having alcohol there, I don't have to get another special license for that. That's nice. So there's a new group that's been formed by executives, uh, by BIPOC leaders in CPG. And I was wondering if you'd be interested. It's called Included CPG, and their website is includedcpg.com. And they're uh, working together. And um, there's going to be people like at the big food shows that are all sort of in their own pavilion. And I wanted to make sure that you knew about that opportunity so you can go on and sign up. There's no fee to be a member. And wow. I think there's a lot of great benefits to becoming a member. And I wanted to just let you know that and tell other people about it as well. It's pretty oh, cool. that's wonderful. Thank you. Um, I didn't it's, know about it. I try to find it's out really as, new. as I can. Yeah. figure. Go on there and get yourself filled out the paperwork. Get signed up All right. on the and ground you- level. Yes, includedcpg.com. Oh, okay. Lee, do you do wholesale for your products? I do. Um, I do. So uh, when I sell to like markets, like little boutique stores, mm-hmm. uh, I do wholesale pricing for them. Oh, cool. Do you also and- sell by the gallon or is it all just in the retail? It's all in its retail form uh, to bars, depending on. So like some of the barrel aged honeys, because I, it goes into other products. I always tend to have it and that I will sell um, per pound in bulk, but that's usually sold to bars or restaurants because that's how they're going to use them. Um, but uh, for like stores, it's always in its finished form. I was thinking your honey straws would be good for um, like hotel rooms of something that people could have. Yeah, that like, would be super cool. Yeah, it would be cute. I do them as wedding favors for people. Oh, oh yeah. That's a good one too. I love it. It's really I, cool. I have a great graphic designer and she, after the last four years, she kind of reads my mind. So I go, this is what I need make it look cool and she does (laughs) so do you have like a pack of six or pack of 12 or how do you sell those straws um the buzz sticks are sold as a pack of 10 pack of 10 and the uh when the bash ones when they're just a single one they're usually sold as a little on a little plastic pouch of five do you have any events coming up that we can send people to Ooh, no um this year is a really weird year for me. Uh, I think like most folks, I am hitting growing pains. Mm-hmm. So I have uh, limited the amount of events that I'm going to do this year because we're tr- I'm trying to ramp up and expand and grow and just make this, make this leap from being a hobby to being my only and full-time gig. Now, um, did you know the Good Food Mercantile is going to be here? Have you heard about that? Yes. Um, is that the same thing as paired with like the Good Food Awards? Yeah, it's on Friday, April 29th. Yeah. And would you, if you could, if somebody gave you a free spot, would you show up? The good. Do I fit though? Because I'm not, I don't produce the honey myself. That's what always totally fit. The good food awards is because I don't produce the honey myself. I purchase it from local apiary. But that's what it's all about. It's about mm. processors using local ingredients to create delicious artisan foods, which is what you're doing. Okay. So, would you be interested in a spot? Is that here in Portland? Yeah, it's going to be. Oh. Yeah, they do them all over. They just did one in San Francisco, and then the Portland one is next, and then I think they go to New York after that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you want to be at my table? <gasps> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm asking you. I just should have just oh. come out and say it. <laughs> we had to bury the lead on that one. Come on, <laughs> well, I was like, I was like, you should have led with, you know, you get to hang with me on there. Yes. <laughs> but sit there with a notepad and asking a lot of questions, being like, what do you think about this? <laughs> no, so that'd be cool if you wanted to join us. We have a six foot table. We're 
going to be showing some interesting beverages we're working on with olive leaves. Oh, okay. And um, they were asking me what other cool things we're going to have at our table. And I was like, Lee's stuff's super cool. Maybe I should ask her (laughs) just when we were talking. So if you were interested. I'm I'm working on new products. So uh. I think that if you brought your honey sticks and that's it, I think that it would be good because that that show really is for um, the kind of buyer that you're looking for. It's it's a lot of really small, small specialty stores. And so I think it would be perfect for you to be at and having something that um, you know, no one else has, and it's really unique in that it, you know, has your touch on it. I think it would be the perfect fit for that show. Also, you know what? The sticks are perfect because you get to reach more people with smaller amounts of honey. Yeah. And you're yeah. blending it with other ingredients. So it extends the value of what you've created, basically. Well, and then I imagine, Lee, I, I'm sure that, you know, production, like for doing wholesale, I would think that the barrel aged honey would be hard to do because you don't know, um, you know, you have to let it sit for so long and then you don't know exactly how much you're going to have. So you can't like promise that to someone or or whatever. But with the honey straws, since you're blending honeys and, you're, and it's your own, you know, awesome cocktail recipe, but you could produce those at a higher quantity if you needed to, exactly. right? Yes. Yeah. I think sometimes when, um, you know, it, my world is, is totally different, but, but if, but people ask me all the time why I don't ferment hot sauces and sell them. And, and really it's because I don't have a place to let them sit around and hang forever in in barrels or for a while. And, and then I, you know, I then it's like time is money. And so it's like for you, for stuff to sit around, I think it's really, it's going to be great for you now that you have this kind of newer product because you can do both things. You can have your specialty barrel aged honey, which is so awesome, but very hard to wholesale. But then you have this other product that you can, you know, kind of go that route with probably. But are the buzz sticks using the aged honey or are you, are you just blending out regular honey? No, actually it uses barrel aged honey, but it okay. uses that blended with um, a different honey varietal. Nice. Uh, and so it's a honey varietal that actually works really well for this particular one. And everything is designed based off of a particular varietal that I like to work with. I mean, you're just like a cheesemaker who has to age their cheese for a certain number of days before, you know, it's ready to cut. So you have to build up that inventory as you start to, you know, create your business moving forward. Yes. Well, we found out that because I was just barrel aging wasn't enough and I couldn't bring in enough revenue that way. And because it has to sit, I needed other products that used barrel aged honey, but didn't necessarily need it in the larger quantities that I was using it for. And I yeah. could put it into other things and create whole new products. Yes. And so that's what I had started doing um, that took less time. I could have it readily available um, and the margins were just a heck of a lot better. Yeah, yeah. that's perfect. Good job figuring that out. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, you had an aha moment for sure. That's good. Yes, well, and the the hot the uh, barbecue sauce that's coming out this year too. Oh, you have a barbecue sauce too. Yeah, tell us about it, or is it a secret? (laughs) (laughs) Beyond the fact that it's a barrel aged honey barbecue sauce, it was a crazy. um, I actually, because I do work with the Food Innovation Center, um, had been working, and we started it in 2019. (laughs) 2020 hit. And we put it, I had to put it on the back burner. And so we just re-upped it just this year to kind of release it. Uh, but I looked at a lot of barbecue sauces. Um, and this is my weird thing. Took all these spreadsheets, all these different styles, saw what everybody was doing that was the same, and then decided I didn't want to put any of those ingredients in there. Yeah. <laughs> and then I go, okay, we can't do that. We have to go back to something that at least people can recognize. But well, uh, it was found a niche. And I you did. worked with Mike Adams, I believe, at the yeah. Food Innovation Center. Yeah. Yep. That's so good. I, I still work with uh, him. I was just uh, I was just chatting with him a couple of days ago for a bunch for this stuff. I said, "What do we need to do to make this work? Make it happen?" And he's like, "Okay." <laughs> oh, that's very good. I'm glad to hear it. Oh yeah. 
He's a smart guy. Oh, excellent. Just, just brilliant and fun. And yes. Yeah. And ans- can, we'll answer all my questions um, and digs deep. And I really absolutely mm-hmm. appreciate it. Um, I try yeah. to do as much as I can on my own so mm-hmm. that when I walk into a room, I'm asking really good questions mm-hmm. and I am asking the questions that I think I might know where to go, but I can't quite figure it out. Um, it helps that I have a background in making fermented and weird beverages of all using all sorts of different mediums. So, you know, a lot of the tools, it was like, well, what's the pH of this? I'm like, oh, I can tell you, I, you know, I know what the pH is supposed to be. I have pH meters. I have alcoholiz- alcoholizers. I can do a lot of these things on my own. And so that's, that's really, so by the time I walk in there, I want to make sure that the time that I spend, if I'm spending money on consultation is time well spent for me as well as for them. That's good. Yeah. It's good to be prepared for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for people who are dreaming up a business? Oh, I have a lot. Um, <laughs> oh, go for it. Tell us the things that I've learned over the years. Uh, let's don't try to learn everything. Uh, you don't save any money when you waste your time uh, trying to learn all the things you think you need to know. That's good. Sometimes money is better spent paying the people who actually do this for a living because you're actually going to end up paying less with their time than you would with your time. And that is comes for a lot of different things. Like we all think we make a good logo and, but we can't draw, but we can, (laughs) Oh my goodness. I was like, um, and just because it's free and somebody offers does not mean you should accept it. Sometimes you surely should just pay. Yeah. That's really good (laughs) advice. I agree with that. Yeah. Have a good accountant. I'm a good lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Those are two very important things and a good graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Um, it does not help to micromanage and people will judge things based off of their eyes first. They want to taste it, but they'll stop at your booth because something about what you have looks and draws them in. And so yeah. um, I've often, you mentioned the packaging that bottle, because I'm in the liquor industry, I wanted a bottle that looked like an expensive bottle of liquor. It really does. I mean, you nailed it on that. It's the perfect bottle. Yeah. The wax dipping, all of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. It was, I, I wanted it to make look as amazing as possible. I had boxes designed for that mm-hmm. as well. I don't use them mm-hmm. as much anymore. Now I use them for like special occasion things. Um, but the whole idea of having the neck labels and having and writing after write things out by hand, like what batch this is like those little touches elevate a product so much more than um, just having a label that you've printed yourself put onto a jar or onto a bowl. like go for the extra, go for the, the matte coating, go for the plastic, yeah. the slippery feel, go for the things that'll make it durable that, you know, yeah, packaging matters as much well, as what's inside as well. And I think, you know, it's always good for your story to be told without you there. And I think that your product is a perfect example of like, you can see it and it just speaks to what your background is. I mean, your background mm-hmm. is in distilling. It's in, yeah. um, you know, you've been making all of all of these great spirits for such a long time, but then now you're combining it with honey. And that's not usually the combo that you see, you see honey yeah, in the opposite, unique. which is like a plastic bot- yes. squeeze bottle or mm-hmm. a hair bottle or something. Yeah. You did it on this other route and it just already like shows who you are, what you're into, what you're doing. And so it did like the perfect job of telling your story without you there, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That is, that's what I go for all the time. I want people to stop and look and even the box, uh, the boxes, of the buzz sticks. Like I had that design to look the way it did. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted something that at a glance, you knew exactly what it was and who it was. Um, And that they just, you know, it was just a really, it was a nice way of taking a vision that I think I had in my head and putting it to putting it out there 
And it's just been really, I've been really um, fortunate to be surrounded by a huge maker industry here in Portland. Um, and that people are just so willing to share information. So people are so creative and you see them um, and you just get inspired. And I go, oh, I would have never thought to do that. But then I'm like, well, maybe this would taste good with this. I love yeah. that. Yeah. We're so lucky cool. to live in this in this place and and time totally. where it's like this super supportive community. It's like my fav my favorite thing about having this podcast and about being in this food world here is that I get to meet all these wonderful people doing these great things, and then we can be alongside each other, kind of cheering each other on as we go through yes. this wild wild ride together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Makes There's room so much for a lot fun. of different industries. And as I tell people, I was like, yeah. it seems like if we were just selling here, yeah, we probably would be a little bit more at each other's throats, but we're supporting our economy. We're supporting our natural resources and we're supporting getting it out of the state into other people's hands. Yeah. And whenever we can time, sell it, whenever we can exactly. sell it over the state lines, we make more money for the, for everyone exactly. involved. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Lee, uh, unfortunately, we have to wrap wrap things up, which at a time goes so always goes by so fast. It goes by um, really fast. We do always love to encourage people to buy from you directly. So what is the best way for people to do that? Um, best way is actually on my website, uh, thebarreledbee.com. If you are Perfect. in Portland physically, you can actually purchase direct from Freeland Spirits. Both, uh, both are my Northwest Vaughn location and our Lake Oswego location, and then Blackthorn Mercantile in North Portland. And Perfect. Abby Creek. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I'm, everyone should go to those places because they're all wonderful, but for sure order online from Lee and support her business and check out new things to come. And thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. Yes. It was great to chat with you. Thanks yes. Thank coming. you for having me. I really appreciate it. We record Missoni and Marshall every week. You can find us on our on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you would like to be a guest on the show, you can DM us on our Instagram, Missoni and Marshall, and we will be back next week. Thanks for joining, everybody. Bye. Bye for now. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of Meaningful Marketplace. As a family-owned organ grocer for 42 years, Market of Choice strives to inspire, mentor, and assist a diverse group of local producers and foster equity in our communities. With 11 stores in Oregon, Market of Choice supports these craft makers, as well as farmers, fisherfolk, and ranchers by bringing more than 7,000 local products to market. Together, we form a sustainable, community-based food system that serves our great state. To learn more, go to marketofchoice.com. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.